Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. So I'd like to take a second to thank the sponsors of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana has been in business since 1973 and is not only one of the best taxidermists in the state, but in the entire country, as well as Cousin's Smokehouse, home of the original Cajun-style smoked pork jerky who's growing beyond leaps and bounds. They're in over 400 stores now, and I have not seen an archery shop yet in the state that didn't have their pork jerky on the shelf so y'all check both of them out online when you get a second both louisiana companies and both big supporters of louisiana bowhunter and we could not do this without them so thank you so with that being said let's get started all right welcome to the very first ever louisiana bowhunter podcast i'm here right now with my good friends lock wheeler and chad abair and we are currently in baton rouge louisiana kicking off what i hope to be a very long series to come uh, I want to take just a moment, this is going to be the only time I do this, to cover a few simple things, give a bit of a disclaimer as to who I am, uh, to the business, and, and also kind of the uh, the goals of Louisiana Bowhunter. Uh, my name is Kyler Moppert. I do own LouisianaBowhunter.com. Uh, you probably haven't seen me or, or seen my face before, and that's for a very good reason, and that's because we have built a brand to represent you. The bow hunter. We we don't want it to be a uh, a lifestyle brand or be like me or anything like that. This is very much. We want the brand to be an outlet for all bow hunters in the state to uh, cover successes of people, talk about failures we can all learn from, and that's a lot of what this podcast is is going to become. 
our main goal is to support the growth of archery in the state. If I had to simplify it to one sentence, that's that's the absolute goal is is to uh, to help people get into the sport, to help people get better at the sport, and we just want to be a vessel in order for that to happen. And the goals of this podcast is to, for you, the listener, the uh, the audience, to learn through general conversations of, of three guys talking or sometimes we you know in future episodes you might have a guy on the phone I, I know I talked to Warren Womack today we're going to do an episode with him shortly um, talked to Russell Scarborough trying to, to rope him in on one he said he needs to hear a few first before he uh, <laughs> before he agrees but uh, we, we want to get a lot of people around the state that are just average bow hunters you and me and the guys that get out there and, and, and just don't see a deer for six hunts in a row and figure out how we can change that um talk a little bit about gear talk about stands and stand stand uh, placement and hunting styles and, and all of that so with that being said that's going to be the the last time that you're going to hear me bring myself up as as kind of the face or a name to the, with a company um from here on out i'm just going to be the guy steering the ship and and pushing the record button and hopefully you all learn a lot from from our guests in the future Locke, why don't you introduce yourself to to our listeners tell us a little bit about you uh, my name is Locke Wheeler, and I am a contributor with Louisiana Bowhunter and uh, also uh, heavily involved with T3 or Talking the Talk Calls. You may have seen that around the state of Louisiana. And um, I actually reside out in the Bluff Creek area in Clinton, and I've been actively bow hunting since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, as a child, my dad bow hunted. And then as it, when, I, when I got old enough to bow hunt myself, he had kind of stopped. And um, my desire to do that brought him back in. And so I spent, you know, most of my teenage years and young adult years, like most hunters, you know, we bow hunted during October. We may take our bow out a time or two, but we, we bow hunted and we would rifle hunt. And I grew up in Mississippi. So, uh, you know, we got into college, I, I had friends that were much more into bow hunting than I was and uh high school and college and uh the passion just kind of grew and you know we were talking earlier about you know what what was that moment when did you know that you were a bow hunter you were going to be ate up with it and you were going to you know be ruined by be it. ruined and be <laughs> all your attention you know focused on that and and I thought about that and I think to answer your question I'm not going to be able to say of one specific deer or one specific hunt, but, uh, you know, several experiences, several seasons that I I went through and and I just began to kind of realize things and see things in the woods. And I was able to attribute those to the way I hunted when I archery hunted, as opposed to when I rifle hunted. And, you know, I guess I could say that I, you know, I, I took this deer and, that was the the pinnacle of of what I was trying to achieve, and that just really opened my eyes. But it, it really wasn't just one deer. It was, you know, at some point you get to where you, and I don't want to diminish uh, the taking of any animal, but you, you shoot a deer with a rifle, and all you can think about is, as Chad said earlier, that I brought my rifle today, and the deer walked at 25 yards, and all I can think about <laughs> is I shot him with a rifle at 25 yards. <laughs> you know and and you get to that point so i you know that's that's kind of where i've 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 not been one that has gotten into tournament archery and all that i'm just a a hunter but yeah you know at this point i don't 
you know that, that's I, I've I've gotten to a very pure state where I, I I I literally do not care to take a deer if I don't shoot it with a bow and arrow. I agree. And that's just where I'm at. And that's if I'm going to spend my time and my hard-earned money uh, pursuing a hobby and a passion, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I think and there's I think there's a lot of people out there that have probably have that same sentiment. And I'll tell you from from my personal point of view. Um, I felt a much deeper connection uh, in the entire process of deer hunting when uh, when I would bring my bow. You know, I'll, I'll get into that when it, when it gets to be my turn. But we're going to introduce Chad real quick. Chad, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into deer, into bow hunting? You know, when you asked about that, about you know exactly how long I, or when I, it came to feel, and you know, I started bow hunting when I was I think sixteen. Mm-hmm. I had uh, bought a used darton i remember this thing it weighed like 84 pounds <laughs> solid wood you know it was a solid wood compound bow nice and uh my dad at that point he was actually bow hunting he had access to bow hunt river bend the nuclear plant this is when they just opened it up but to employees only and uh so like i remember him coming back after his first hunt and, and god's my witness man he said i got out of the deer stand three times to get my arrows he said yeah he carried five arrows and he yes. shot that many times in one hunt oh man and so i was like oh i gotta be i gotta do better than this so i just practiced and practiced and practiced but see i grew up i mean i hunted in the felicianas um man it was a kill or be killed kind of hunting you know we hunted piney woods and um they didn't i don't think they ran dogs i never really hunted running dogs a lot but man you know as much as I got to hunt with my dad I hate to say it like he really didn't teach me a lot about hunting Mm -hmm. I mean basically he would just bring me into the woods and put me in a deer stand and he'd go do his hunting and that was it and uh, I really honestly didn't learn how to deer hunt until I started turkey hunting that's when I learned how to deer hunt and only reason why is because I just I guess walking the woods more turkey hunting I was able to look at things and find things and see things and learn about things more than just sitting in a deer stand. Yeah, absolutely. So it inquired me and it pushed me more to like, man, well, I, you know, I'm going to follow this deer trail. I'm going to see what's at the end of this deer trail where, you know, it was before I couldn't. <laughs> That's it. That is the, the, the dangling carrot, I think, of all deer hunters. We all fall for that. Yeah. We have to, where does this go? The next ridge. Yeah, what's right. over so that the next, next hill, ridge. you know? Yeah, and, and so, you know, just as being a hunter, the curiosity got to me. So I started bow hunting, man, and. I remember the first deer I ever shot was it, you know, I, I was sitting on a food plot over a pile of corn, deer walked in and I watched this deer for 45 minutes. It was a four point. I was like, this is it. <laughs> okay. Boom. I shot him high in the back. He ran off and never found a deer just like that. And I was so discouraged, man. It was so heartbroken. Cause I was like, I had, you know, built myself up to this point, never found this deer. Well, I, you know, I didn't really push hard to bow hunt that much after i bow hunted a little bit here and there and uh i really kind of got out of hunting a while uh, you know I, I probably there was a span for about 10 years where i just didn't really have the urge to hunt like i really liked to um i got back into it with a friend of mine he pushed me back into it and we started hunting public land and that's when i really really started getting into it i'd say probably i was 25 24 mm-hmm. 25 and i really you know I was in real good shape and I didn't care, man. We were miles back in Tunica Hills and, <laughs> you know, we were uh, hunting Cat Island a lot, man. We were just pumping it. We were killing deer, man. We were really, really getting into it. And I'd shot several deer at my bow, but like 
that moment that I can always remember, and not just because this is the biggest buck that I had ever killed, but, but I did go to Kentucky one time and I shot a, a, about 140 inch nine point. And I can just remember that shot and killing that deer. And I've killed a lot of deer after that, but like, dude, I sat in that standing, just cried, man. Like I was uncontrollably crying from the emotion that I got from that mm -hmm. deer. And that's, that's when it, that's when I said, man, this is it. Like I could hand my rifle off to anybody. Yeah, you know, I give my gun to anybody, man. I can set it on the on the edge of a box stand and say, "Shoot that deer," but just nobody can draw my bow and nobody can shoot that deer and get that kind of emotion like I it's, did. It's it's hard. It's really hard to beat that feeling of of just watching the planets align themselves mm -hmm. with you know the wind and the weather and 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 deer coming within range <clears throat> before we hit. You know, record on the podcast a few minutes ago. We were talking. I had, had to stop chat. I was like, "Hold that thought. Let's get him. Let's put our headphones on." And I said, "We're wasting a good conversation here." And, and he was talking about how uh, you know, Locke and Chad had gone hunting a bunch of times uh, during t certain times of the season, probably during the rut, where you'd bring a bow and a rifle uh, back up, if you will. Um, and, uh, and Locke's got a good story he can tell you about that in just a second. But um, you know, for for me. I remember vividly my, my uh, in hindsight everything's so much clearer of course um, for me it wasn't so much that I fell in love with bow hunting I actually uh, clarified to myself that I did not like rifle hunting so I actually uh, I actually was turned off by shooting an animal at 200 yards because it just didn't do anything for me I didn't um, I, I didn't feel and this is a very personal emotion, of course, but I didn't feel accomplished when I did that. And, and I want to clarify, I'm not saying, you know, rifle hunting's bad or anything like that. I'm simply saying it just didn't do anything for me. It didn't get my heart pumping. Um, I mean, actually, here, do you have a few seconds? I'll tell you the story. A deer walked out and I shot it. Done. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's my rifle hunting story. Yeah, right. and, and there's a saying, you may have heard this before, when you're rifle hunting and you see a deer, your hunt's over. When you're bow hunting and you see a deer, the hunt's just starting. Just start. you know, one of the reasons why that, uh, that particular kill didn't do much for me was um, I borrowed a gun. I'd never shot it before. I go into a ladder stand on a, a, a clear-cut field edge on a friend's lease. Um, this was actually New Year's Day. I want to say like... 2000 mid 2000 mid early 2000 2007 2008 this is this was 6:51 a.m. New Year's Day. I am almost positive that I was the first person to kill a deer in whatever year that was <laughs> because it was I don't think a lot of people are making it into the deer stand on New Year's Day after a long night. And uh buck walked out, was in rut, came just pushing two does and it had four on one side and was 15 inches inside spread and pulled the trigger. Boom, dead, ran 50 yards, piled up, and, and drug it back to the four-wheeler trail and waited to get picked up. And I, it was a um, it was a seven-millimeter Magnum. Actually, uh, in the drawer over there in my kitchen, I've got, uh, I've got the round. And I, I wrote on it, it was my first buck I'd ever killed. I'd killed a doe before, but I'd never killed a buck. That was the first buck I ever killed. And I wrote on it in Sharpie, and I've still got the, the round. And I have not picked up a deer rifle ever since then because it just, it didn't satisfy me. You know, it just didn't, it didn't touch anything inside. It didn't, it didn't really get my heart pumping. And then I got into bow hunting the, the same season, um, very unsuccessfully, very, like very, in fact, like I could probably write, 
I could talk more on what not to do with bow hunting and how not to do it than I could how to be good at it. Couldn't, every, couldn't everyone? Yeah. That's a, that's a podcast, I don't, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's this, and this is why we'll never run out of content, ever. You know, uh, So I don't think bow hunting's actually something that people get good at. I don't think you get good at bow hunting. I think you just get progressively less bad at it. Because you, just, just when you think that you've got it down, and just when you think you've got them patterned or whatever, they come from the other side of the trail, or they come from from downwind, and 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 uh, and you're, you you thought you were set up, you know, you were you thought you were up downwind from them, and they just, you know, then you got these other deer that just morph out of thin air, you know, they climb out of a tree or morph out of a black out of a portal or something. But um, anyway, I got into bow hunting, and I remember I killed my first doe, and. I was just, I was so pumped up. God, I was pumped up. My friends were pumped up for me. Uh, it only ran like 30 yards and piled up in the grass. And, you know, we took it to my buddy's shop and picked it up with a electric crane. And my friends were so happy for me that they never even let me clean it. They cleaned the whole thing for me. They were like, let me show you how to clean this. And then all of a sudden I've got a deer quartered in a cooler on ice done. I, I don't even don't even have any blood on my hands, you know. So that wasn't a bad deal. But uh, But I remember vividly the two sides of, of deer hunting it, it was the uh, uh elatement the the excitement of killing one with a doe or killing a doe with a bow matched up against you know a, a more of a you could say a more desired deer a buck a nice buck with a rifle you know and i was so much more excited about the doe i mean it might have weighed 120 pounds it wasn't big um but it's just 20 pounds is a pretty big doe man well, i mean <laughs> Uh, whatever it was, I know what you it, mean. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like you know an old nanny goat where she had been. You know, she she wasn't the one that was going to pick you off two hundred yards and and blow your whole hunt, blow your whole hunt. You know, um, but uh, she was a trophy in her own right. And I've killed I don't know nineteen or twenty since then with my bow, and it's just God, it's been such a such a fun journey ever since then, and uh, I just love it. I really do. Um, Locke, tell us uh, tell us about your. Gun hunting, so, bow hunting story. Yeah, we Ben referenced the uh, conversation we were having before we hit record, and I have quite a few stories because I did that for a long time because I still had that uh, that urge or that itch where I was telling myself, you know, you want to kill a deer, you want to kill that deer, you know, you're a deer hunter, you've invested time and money and hunting leases and time away from your family or whomever or whatever to be there and so you still have that like I, you know i want to kill that buck this year i'm after that buck and so um for a long time i, I took one uh, a gun with me and I, i've never take that back <laughs> i shot one deer with a gun because i took a back tension release for the <laughs> oh yeah. note, note to the audience don't go hunt with a back tension release if you've never shot one before it's a really bad idea <laughs> Yeah. So I, 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 I think I did maybe shoot it once or twice, but not enough. And I drew. I had an eight point following a doe. Drew on him, got it halfway back, hit it. You know, hand comes back, bloodies my nose. I thought the bow blew up. I had no idea what happened. You know, eyes watering, nose bleeding. Feel like you just got hit by a two <laughs> exactly. by four. Exactly. And, yeah. and luckily, it did knock me backwards out of the stand. Sat down, hung my bow up and gathered myself, you know, kind of got the fog out of my eyes from bloody in my nose and looked up and the deer, he's in full rut. 
and he don't know what happened either, and he's still standing out there at like 50 yards. And out of just pure, I don't even know, I just grabbed the rifle and shot him. <laughs> That's the only time. <laughs> That's the only time. Until it was all over with, I didn't know. I thought something happened to my bow. I didn't realize what happened. I just knew I was yeah. almost at full draw, and everything <laughs> just, came un- just undone. To- total shock, huh? <laughs> and all I knew was the bow was hanging on the hook. My arrow, I heard it plinking down through the woods. So um, that is not even the story that you ask about. not the story. <laughs> but I do have quite a few good ones. But um, the one that we were talking about, and, and this kind of plays into us discussing, you know, how do you, when do you get to the point where you know that bow hunting is your thing and it's going mm-hmm. to gonna obsess you? I don't know that, I, that this story is where I realized that, but looking back on it, it is a key moment, and it's one that I can still look at to this day. So I hunted after college um, in a place back home in Mississippi uh, for a number of years, and there was one deer there that he was you know, really a deer of a lifetime pretty much anywhere in the country, but especially in the south. And uh, we followed this deer around with trail cameras, and no one had ever seen him, ever seen him on the hoof. And um, one Sunday afternoon, I typically would come home from the camp, you know, on Sundays and not hunt the afternoon. And I stayed, and I, I saw a deer walking through a select cut kind of swamp open, and I grunted this deer from 150, 200 yards, and it was him. And... Expl- explain explain the yeah, what's the him yeah what's what does he look like in your mind how, how does i mean he's he's a one hundred and sixty inch eight point maybe maybe better like <laughs> in terms of just uh time you know, length and and the other thing about him that is so I don't. I don't know anybody ever killed him, so I guess so he died. So we of old can age. make him as big as we want, right? Exactly. Two hundred and twenty-four um, inch eight yeah, point. He was the next state record. Yeah. No, he was. Um, I, I have a buddy that killed a hundred and sixty-eight inch eight point in Kansas, Goodness. and it, it stands as a record. Um, two years ago, I think it was, or three years ago that he killed it. And I've compared trail cam pictures, and this yeah. deer was one sixty inch eight wow. point. And not only that, he was he was perfect. Like he looked like someone drew him. His tines were exactly the same, <laughs> and he, you know, he's 22 inches wide, 23 inches wide. He had everything. I know exactly what you mean by that. And and yeah. I, I I grunted, and this deer's coming, and when I, he's walking, and I'm like, that. There's no way. It's four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. There's just no way. <laughs> well, he knew that all of y'all left. Yeah, he knew the camp Sunday was afternoons. Empty. Yeah. So I stand, you know. I'm, so back to the original point here. My I had a gun in the tree, and I stand up, and I'm, you know, I'm. I've got my bow, and the deer's walking straight to me. And he gets it 40, 35, maybe 35 or 40 yards. And he's kind of slightly quartering to me, but mostly just looking straight at me. And he's looking for the grunt. And he's come through a select cut, and he's gotten to the road. And the other side of the road where I'm at is all open timber. He's not coming into that timber unless he sees something. Yeah. And to make matters worse, I kind of felt the wind swirl a little bit. And he didn't blow up. He just did what big deer do he just you know turned around and started easing off and i grunted a few times and he stopped and looked back at me and i mean hell he let me he let me see exactly how magnificent he was and (laughs) everything that i was missing out on as he walked away well after he got completely out of sight and i had grunted a few times and he wasn't coming back i sat down and my shoulder bumped against the stock of the gun that was hanging (laughs) on a hook that you had with you the whole time and the deal maker huh oh yeah man. and i mean i could look 
at this point, as we talked about, you, you know, I'm bow hunting. I've watched this deer for so long. There's no doubt in my mind that I would have killed him. I would have killed him if he would have turned broadside and stepped into the edge of that yeah. road. I would have killed him. But with that rifle, I would have killed him, no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I had every opportunity, a million opportunities. But the moral of the story is there there was a lot of, you know, beating yourself up in aggravation about, you know, not killing a deer that you had hunted for three years. Yeah. I still think about if he would have just took, if he would have just took five more steps. You know, you even, even if he would have just turned broadside 40, I mean, I've killed several nice deer at 40 yards with a bow. That's what clouds my mind with that hunt and that story is it's more about how close I got to killing the deer of a lifetime with a bow on a high-pressure property. And so many of my buddies that I hunted with that know this story and know who the deer, you know, they know the deer. Yeah. They're just like, oh, my gosh, man, I can't believe that. Well, isn't that what bow hunting is? After all, it's killing deer on your terms. It, it, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to kill them the way, a very specific way and and in a sense bow hunting is kind of the 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 fly fishing of 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 the hunting world it's it's the um the more actually not more it's the less productive way to do something but in some ways more gratifying and in more ways more frustrating way to do things but when like i said earlier when the when the stars align and the planets align and you're able to catch a big redfish on fly you're able to kill a buck that you're more proud of because it's a bow kill, but you would be proud of it. <laughs> you could kill it with a tank and you'd still be happy with it. That's really the, the driver, I feel. That's the thing that, that it ha- makes our gears uh, turn inside of, of us. And when I say us, I mean all bow hunters because everybody has some story related to that. Well, I think the to sort of sum up what you're saying in another way, but what you find common ground between us and, and, and others that, you know, uh, do what we do and, and hunt the way we hunt is we're, we're obsessed with the process. Yes. We're not obsessed with the kill. We're obsessed with the process. We're obsessed with all of the little things that are never the same every time you go hunting and painting, you know, your own picture and writing your own story every time you have a successful hunt. And a successful hunt may not be a, a dead animal. Absolutely. But, um, that's what when I'm asked that question, that's where I'm at. And that's what I feel. And I don't want to try to speak for another person, but when I have a friend that is the same as me, and I know he likes to hunt the same as me, I can't help but think he feels a lot the same way. And and the way I feel is I'm obsessed with the process. Absolutely. Yeah. I I have even grown as far to where, um, you know, if I can't hunt my own stands, I'm not as interested in hunting. It's something about what I've done yeah. and in my process. I'm playing a game with myself, and the animal is just a part of it. You know you know what I see frequently? I see this every year, especially you know, running the Facebook page or Instagram and seeing people's comments and, and things like that. What I see frequently is people that are just getting into bow hunting uh, that may ne- have never bow hunted before. What they do is they hunt the same way they would with a rifle, just with a different weapon. And uh, that's fine. You can do that. You can set up on a on a food plot or a shooting lane uh, or over a feeder. And look, I've done that. Everybody's done that. But um, I believe there's stages of bow hunters. I think there's, there's, I think 
one of the most important factors of, of having a, you could call it a career in bow hunting, if you will, or, or enjoying doing it long term, is you have to have some early on success. You have to have something that just hooks you in. And, um, and once, you, once you have that and you kill a few deer and you feel confident in your ability, then you, you go on to different stages and, you know, you might want to kill more mature deer or kill deer without bait or whatever. But um, when I see people that hunt, I've even seen people hunt box stands with a bow. And it's hard. That deer knows that box stands there <laughs> and it knows why it's there. And it knows why the feeder is 200 yards away down the shooting lane. And what happens is you, you're almost, I don't, I don't mean this to sound like you're half-assing it um, because you're doing, you're, you're attempting uh, to bow hunt, which is phenomenal in and of itself. What I'm saying is once you wean yourself off of those, uh, um, you could say those uh, attractants or those types of areas where you're just doing the same thing that you were rifle hunting just with a bow, you're never going to get the full satisfaction of killing a deer, um, big or small or, you know, spike buck or yearling or whatever, until you start doing it on the deer's terms um, and you start hunting the deer's playground the the deer's living room that's where the the playing field is leveled out and of course it makes it more difficult but it's also so much more rewarding to to beat the home team at home you know um and so i i never really got the full satisfaction of of bow hunting until i started hunting thickets and and honestly until i started hunting with a traditional bow because that's which i did last year the whole season that which is very much like bow hunting with one hand tied behind your back. That is the most frustrating thing ever is hunting mm. straight traditional. But when I did that, I learned so much more as a bow hunter because it forced myself into higher percentage hunts and higher percentage situations to where a deer is either going to come from that way or it isn't going to come. I'm not giving myself five options on, okay, well, I can make a 60-yard shot this way, but I've got bait here at 30 yards, but I can hunt. I can shoot 40 yards in any direction. When you're hunting with a traditional bow, you hunt one trail. And you might only hunt 10 feet off the trail. And you might get a straight down shot. And that's it. And um, But I'll tell you what, since I started hunting that, that way, that method, I've seen four times more deer just on the hoof, whether it be at 100 yards or 50 yards or 20 yards and under. I see so many more deer because... I am where the deer want to be. I'm not trying to hunt where I'm where I'm trying to get the deer to. Luring yeah. the deer. Yeah. It, it, yeah, and that's the reason why you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, well they all came out at, you know, 702." Well, yeah, they know. <laughs> well, they know when shooting time's over. They know when they can come out under moonlight in that field and not get shot. And so, it, you know, if if you want to kind of wean yourself off of those tactics and really get into bow hunting, hunt a hundred yards in from where you think they're coming from yes yeah hunt a hundred yards in from where your feeder is going to go off and come from and hunt in the direction in which you think that deer is going to come in and you'll start seeing deer 15 minutes before shooting time because they're all staging up waiting to to pop their heads out and go get something to eat without having a a bullet shot go off so i i worked at at buoy outfitters for two years and i wasn't a salesperson on the floor but if you've ever worked retail in any way you probably know it's all hands on deck yeah when it's the best time of the year and for us that's august september leading up to the fall seasons and then of course christmas um all that to be said the number one thing that i heard from people who came in when i'm working in the archery section and helping customers is uh 
I really just want to be able to hunt an extra month and a half. Oh, you know, yeah. that yeah. I probably hurt. Now, obviously, there were plenty of guys that came in that were seasoned archers and they hunted all the time. But your new your new customer that came in, like, yeah, I'd really like to look at a bow. I'd like to shoot a few. I've, I've never bow hunted. Their reason, 80, maybe more percent, was it's just an opportunity for me to go to the camp and hunt a month and a half earlier than than if I'm just a gun hunter. And I wish, I, now I know personally, uh, quite a few people that I've known or been around or had some acquaintance to that did that and then found themselves uh, on, on a whole nother level with it because they've, they realized for themselves some of the things that we've talked about. Um, but I wish I could follow up more with, you know, hypothetically, more with a lot of those people um, to see where they land. Mm-hmm. In in the long, do they keep doing it? Do they find out that ah yeah that's an extra month and a half, but it's hot and it's hard and I ain't into that, <laughs> you know. Um, there there isn't a way I don't think to to really uh, to pick up the full effect of bow hunting without just jumping headfirst in. And and sometimes you know I don't see anything wrong with people getting in the woods a month and a half early and, and wanting to get out there October 1st like like I do or any other bow hunter. How, how many bow hunters do you know that actually just say, "Man, I'm not even going to go in the woods until middle of November. It's I, just too hot." I, Nobody. I, I, well, I, not <laughs> I not many, one. but I will say this, and a lot of it has to do with other things, you know, family and no, other I'm obligations. Talking about, I'm talking like real bow hunters, people that yeah. you know. Oh that, no, I've had really bow hunt. How many say, "Dude, that, there's no way you're gonna catch mosquitoes." Uh, uh-uh. uh, I'm not fighting that mess. Dude. We know, I we will know hunt all in boxer shorts out there. We know all the challenges, the all the woes of getting out there in right. in, in you know summer part two. Well, I, well, le- well, but let me say this because the the only um, devil's advocate I'll play to that because I know what y'all are saying and I agree. We're all we all live for October the first, right? That's yes. We're the Louisiana bow hunter, or whatever state bow hunter. That's what we are. But I have found in my hunting that, and more over the last couple of years, that if I don't have it the way I need it, if the weather's not right, I've part of you know the way I bow hunt. The fact that I do have to hunt differently, and I have to put it, I don't go just to go. Oh no, I agree. Like, and, I, and I mean, like pick your days. Yeah, yeah you pick your days. I, I like I shot a buck two years ago. And I didn't step foot in the woods until I think it was October nineteenth. Yeah, see, and, that's, and knew, that's what I mean. Because now. I knew I couldn't get in there with the right wind, and I had him on. Man, I had this deer dead. He was dead walking every day. <laughs> every day he was dead walking, but he didn't have the wind for me to yeah. get in there and hunt him. And that's what I meant. I yeah. mean, mentally we're there. Yeah. We're mentally we're there on September the first. We're watching the guys <laughs> up in Kansas and stuff and up north going, man. Wonder what that's like, you know. They're all it reminds September. me of, of Towns Van Zant's song "Poncho and Lefty," which the the line goes, and all the fel- all the federales say they could have had him any day. Uh, they just let him slip away, you know, out of kindness, I suppose. That's the, that's how the <laughs> yeah. song goes. You know, they could have caught Poncho and Lefty anytime they wanted. He could have killed that deer anytime he wanted. But I, I hear you. You got to wait until the conditions are right. And so that's actually that actually is a, a good segue into what I said earlier about the stages of bow hunting is. Um, you uh, you could very easily just have recklessly trudged your way into the woods, educated that deer on day one, and blown him off of, of off that stand and, and pushed him nocturnal. And that sounds a whole lot like my very first year <laughs> bow hunting, uh, in my experience. Um, I think that's it, most people. Scent control. What's scent control? I've never I've never heard I took of a that. Shower. I, I've got deodorant on. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, um, but but. A seasoned bow hunter 
and, and unfortunately, in, in your lesson that you've learned over time there, there's probably a lot, and I do mean a lot, of bad decisions and blown hunts that have gotten you to where you can overcome the excitement for 10-1, October 1st, and say, you know what, this isn't the right time to go in there, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until – and sometimes you can look on a 10-day forecast and be like, Wednesday's the day. Uh, yeah. Taking off Wednesday, I'm telling my boss, and I'm going to be there 30 minutes before Same first light. Same thing can be said for the rut. Same thing can Absolutely. be said for the rut, especially in the south. We're so weather dependent. Oh, yeah. You know. Very much. But you're right, though. That's, that, I mean, even like leading up to that same deer, the amount of extremes that I went to to shoot this deer in one day, knowing that I had the perfect wind – like, I could have gone in there in my work clothes. Like, it was in my face the whole time. I stripped down to nothing in the where I parked my truck. Yeah. Bathed right there by my truck. Carried my clothes in a bag to the stand, climbed up in there, and still had the wind in my face the whole time. But I was not going to take a chance on any other deer in that area, knowing That's that it. I had an opportunity. 30 minutes later, I shot the deer. Like, he came in two hours previous, you know, two hours before he was scheduled to be there. So it just, it just it changed that fast. But I knew going into that spot, whatever it took to kill that deer, I was going to have to go to that extreme. Now, you had a you had a history with this deer, or this was one that you just you had patterned well enough? I just you, patterned him. Yeah. I had to pattern him, and I actually missed him. The first, first shot? shot? Yeah, I remember. i tell you, I, I, I drew, and I, I awesome. hit my knee. My knee hit the cam. I mean, the cam hit my knee. Oh, yeah, you told me that. And it shot under him. I remember and that. And he ran off. So I, I literally watched this deer for probably a solid 25 or 30 minutes. So when he got to the point for me to shoot him the second time i was so amped up and i mean this isn't a huge buck don't get me wrong i mean he was you know a solid 118 inch 120 inch eight point but i was so amped up just because i had missed him and he gave me a second shot and i was and he knew something was up and it was just a mind game at that so point. so when he came back did you uh did you did you try to take any measures like shoot low or aim low or thinking he'd be he'd jump string or anything like that no uh Actually, he, he actually walked off to my right-hand side, so I had to turn all the way around mm-hmm. to draw on him. And I just he just fell right into the hole at That's 20 awesome. yards, and I, I stopped him, and he made, he made it 50 yards. It was like it would have just been easy just to let him do what he did. But, you know, strangely enough, that he knew something was different, something mm-hmm. was strange, because, like I said, I had him patterned. And he knew every week, every day he was coming in there. Yeah. And that one time I missed him, and I shot right underneath him, he walked, was going to make a complete circle around that whole area just to catch the right wind. But I got him before he was able to get behind me. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's a, that's an idea I've had for a t-shirt for quite a while. It's like a deer, a buck standing there in the foreground with an arrow underneath it and <laughs> standing <laughs> underneath him in the dirt and have something that says like, thank God for second chances, you know, something like that. Because I mean, I don't have enough, enough fingers on my hands to count the times that I have blown the first shot professionally blown the first shot um, to the point where I've literally looked at my bow as if like somebody swapped it with somebody else's you know Um, what do you think is one of the reasons that we torture ourselves through the mosquitoes and and all of that I mean do you think it's it's trying to set ourselves apart do you think it's we're trying to get a a jump start on the season what do you think it is I don't think I think the set well when you say setting ourselves apart, I hear that a lot, often with a negative connotation, mm-hmm. a holier-than-thou type connotation. And I try to set that record straight with anybody. I say, look, I don't, I don't begrudge you for mm-hmm. anything you do legally. I, it's just not for me. 
but it's a fair comparison in my mind not that i'm experienced in it but it's 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 a drug addict you know they say a drug addict is always chasing that first high they're always so, trying to regain that and mm-hmm. i think that the adrenaline and the and the not just not just the adrenaline of oh there he is oh here's the shot not just that also that satisfaction that just feeling that you get when it all it's is over completeness. and it came, yeah you know it's just it's just everything comes full circle and that actually that's a very different uh different feeling than than just killing an animal um in fact i watched a video on facebook a few a few days ago and it talked about um somebody asked a hunter how can you call yourself a hunter and a conver- conservationist at the same time uh, many people most of most of all who aren't involved in hunting or the outdoor world at all that seems so hypocritical that you know hunters are conservationists um and uh and the person's response was when i go down the road and a squirrel runs in front of my car or my truck i try and miss it i don't want to just kill things i don't you know i might have when i was a child you know 9 10 11 years old what boy didn't shoot a sparrow with a bb gun right um but there hits a, a point where you start to understand that you are responsible for a life um and i was talking to uh, i went to tunica hills a few days ago with uh, my friend mark wilson i'm sure i'll have him on the show show soon and he he talked about the opening scene to the last of the mohicans where they kill a deer and the Indian chief comes out and brings the whole village to, to where this deer is laying dead. And, and he said, we need to understand what just happened here. We just took a life and we owe it to this animal to, to put it to full use. Now, I might not be quoting that all the way, but I mean, correctly. But um, that's the feeling that we get is we feel highly responsible for how we kill an animal. Um, we want to do it in a way that satisfies us, of course. Um, the end goal, of course, is to have meat and provide and, and, and things like that. But we also, there's also a, um, a portion of that that we haven't discussed yet, and that's the, the ethical responsibility that we have to kill a deer very quickly. And in some regards, um, I actually think bow hunting is the most lethal can be the most lethal and least painful method to kill an animal because there's you know and i'll break it down to this is going to sound very obvious but when you kill a deer with a gun the deer does not die from the hole that you put inside of it it dies from the shock and the impact it dies from just absolute destruction of everything that's behind that bullet hole okay it's why Every deer I've ever shot with a rifle, you know, one shoulder is usually wasted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually the, the opposite shoulder from when you hit it on. And so it dies from impact and shock. Scott Rowe from Spillway Sports, and we were on the Don Dubuque show last year, and he, he brought this up. I hadn't really thought about it like this. When you kill a deer with an arrow, it dies from internal bleeding, and it dies from uh, what is it? Hemorrhage, lack right? Of, lack of oxygen, hemorrhages. Yeah, well, it, yeah, exactly. It, it, a combination of both. Organ failure. Organ failure I mean, you, yeah. from those things. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And and so a lot of times, uh, when you kill a deer, this happened to me twice, where I, I've shot a doe, it's you know jumped back, walks ten feet, does a circle around where the arrow is, is just pouring blood out of both sides of her, and smells the arrow and just falls over. And has absolutely no idea what happened. Isn't really scared. Is actually very curious as to what happened. Might be hurting a little bit down there. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden is just asleep and, it, you know, she's out. 
And, um, and then again, on the other hand, I've had deer that have run 600 yards and I found, <laughs> you know, on the other side of a pond. Uh, and so they all die differently, but you know, it's when you, when you uh, feel as if you don't give an animal the, uh, a quick ethical death that, uh, it's, it's painful. It hurts you inside. It's not something that we, we want to do. Um, and, and this is all, this is all deer hunters. I'm not saying this is just bow hunters, but, um, but that's something that I feel keeps us roped in is that that's the reason why we practice, you know, that's the reason why it's June and July and August in South Louisiana. And we're out trying to stack arrows in a target in the backyard while we're sweating bullets is because we're envisioning this playback in our mind of all the times we've been drawn down on a deer and maybe something bad happened, but we're also envisioning future hunts and future scenarios that we're trying to overcome our emotions and our shakes a little bit and try to deliver as, uh, as responsible of, of an ending of that deer's life as possible. And I think that's something that, uh, like I said, this isn't just bow hunters. This is, this is all deer hunters, all, all hunters in general. Um, I don't think there's anybody out there uh, not anybody that I know or I've met that just wants to go in the woods and just kill, just kill, kill, kill everything, shoot everything that moves. Um, at least no bow hunters that I know. If that's what they want and they're bow hunters, <laughs> you had, they're, they're, a lot their sound reasoning is off because yeah. they're, uh, unless they're Tim Wells. Tim Wells, then maybe. <laughs> yeah, Tim Wells, if it's within 200 yards on the ground or in the air, it's, uh, it's probably going to die. So let's talk a little bit about some of your preferences in your gear a little bit. This is one of the other goals of the show is to kind of provide the audience with uh, some of the things that you and I have, have all landed on as to what's your go-to gear. Like what's something, you know, think about something other than your bow and your arrows. Please don't say that, that you would turn around and go get if you didn't, uh, if you didn't have it in your bag. A bottle of water. That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not what you're looking for in terms of gear, but I, I just. Are do you do, are you a uh, are you a minimalist lock or, or do you bring the left side of Cabela's so, with you? So, um, I'm a hybrid. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely not a minimalist. Like if you come to my to my house and you go into my office, you'll find that I am. Th- I, I am uh, gear. Well, I mean, I'm, we all have a lot of gear. I'm, I'm talking like, no, what do you I bring understand. with you? You yeah. know, uh, so, you know, for me, the obvious one difference for me there's is that I video everything. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm I'm a pseudo filmmaker, I guess. And so uh, outside of camera equipment, um, I have an internal struggle every time I leave the house. And then again, every time I leave the truck uh-huh. of, of, of trying to be as minimalist as possible. Um, take the camera gear out of the equation and uh i'm not really good at it because i'm this way in life you know i go on a week weekend trip and i convince myself of every different possible weather scenario yeah. and every medication i might not want to have to buy and need and all that so hunting is kind of the same way but yet I, I, binoculars are probably my number one gear that i i just if i go and I get in the stand, and I even if I'm hunting a thicket where I can't see 50 yards, I it's just I don't know. I just it's. I agree. That's that's I, my thing. It's, that's it. I'm there to observe as much as anything. I'm there to observe, and if 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 the hunt's not going to come together in a harvest, I at least want to observe as much as possible, mm-hmm. and 
I use my binoculars a lot so do for I. a lot of different things, and I just I'm I'm I, you know I got the the strap thing that goes over your shoulder and holds them to your chest, and mm-hmm. and um, I, that's probably it. that's the one thing that when it's 90 degrees the first week of October that I'll still turn around and walk all the way back to the truck. Yeah. If I realize I don't have it because I just don't want to sit there and not be able to. That's that's my that's my one thing also. When I I, I am somewhat of a minimalist. I, I hunt with a uh, an eight dollar Academy backpack. Actually, that's it right there. That's what I carry all this podcast gear in. That is an eight. That is an eight dollar game winner children's backpack. And I am a 270-pound, six-foot-two-inch-tall man, and I look like uh, I look like a, yeah, I look like like uh, <laughs> Billy Madison when I wear that thing in the woods. Now, actually, I very rarely ever actually have it on my back. Usually, I hang that on the back of my lock-on when and I carry my lock-on. That's why I like this light ones. But um, yeah, binoculars—that's the one thing for me. I would actually bring binoculars over a thermosel if I had to. If I had, now it depends where I can think of places where I would like, okay, I'd bring the thermosel over my bow, but, um, but binoculars have, have given me so much, so many more opportunities to kill a deer that I otherwise would not have had in the past. Because sometimes when you're hunting these thickets and, and it gets, it's so thick, the canopy's so thick, you've got 10 minutes of shooting light, but it's like almost pitch black in, in this little thicket that you're in. Um, and, uh, I've used it to, um, I've used it to uh, identify certain deer. I had a six point and eight point that were just attached to the hip a couple of years ago, and I had one come in on a little food pile that I had out, and I thought it was an eight point. It ended up being a little six point, and so I, I, luckily I passed on it. But I use it all the time, and one of the things that I'm always looking for, if it's if I really need that high contrast, low light scenario of something to, to aim for and something to really find in my in my bow sight, I look for the white L, which is where the pocket or where the front leg and the brisket meet. And if I can find that white L in in the you know the low light situation, and I add about six inches on top of that, I'll kill every deer I ever see. If it's under fifteen or twenty yards, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but uh, I mean, that's like I said, that's that's only I've only had to do that once or twice, and it was I check my clock. I've got eight minutes of shooting time left, but I can barely see the ground. You for know? me, for me, the binoculars are honestly more. Um, I I can observe deer and their mannerisms and how they're acting and educate myself more on the areas I'm hunting or the deer specifically in the areas I'm hunting. Yeah. Um, I don't have poor eyesight, but the difference between what I can observe at a hundred yards in the woods Mm -hmm. um, with a pair of binoculars, as opposed to the things that, you know, you learn to look for that you can see with binoculars and you can kind of get an idea What's going on in that deer's world? Oh, yeah. He's not he, she, or whatever. They're not coming any closer, but I've got a five- or ten-minute window here while they feed through this other ridge where I can I can gain some knowledge, and, you know, it may it may end up in a stand movement. It may end up in, in me approaching the stand differently. Uh, it may just tell me a little bit more about where they're coming from or where they're going, but I just, if I'm going to go sit in the woods and I'm going to hunt for two or three hours and I may not harvest a deer, I at least want to get the most out of it. And I come out of the stand with that, um, with that knowledge or what I've learned or what I've seen. Um, it feels like a win and I can't do that without my binoculars. So that's absolutely, 
Yeah. Chad, what about you? What 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 would you? Uh, what's your your go to? Can't hunt without. I'm probably as the most minimalist person you'll ever. Oh meet. yeah, you got you just got a little fanny pack, right? Like I, I literally only pulled that fanny pack out just to go hunt with you. Oh really? Is it? Well, I, I feel special about that. Yeah, Thank man. you. No, very much. so I mean, generally when I hunt wherever I hunt on my property, I, like I walk in the woods with my rangefinder and a flashlight. That's it. Yeah. Like I I got a little small four inch LED flashlight that sticks in my pocket. And my rangefinder sticks. I want to be pocket. like you, Chad. You can. It sounds. <laughs> you can. It sounds you can. so all peaceful. All you gotta do is just hate, give up all I your hunting gear. I hate carrying stuff, man. I, I yeah, hate I'm it too, but I can't. It. It's like an anxiety. No, man, I can't I'm walk away that from is the, the truck without. No, it. that is a huge challenge. Like seriously, like just go bring your bow and your release this, and a flashlight and just try and kill deer without worrying about. Anything, the, uh, look, I'll be honest, as far as the difference between you and I sitting in the stand, it's probably not much, because I don't touch any of that stuff I bring. But it's you just, have it. You but I it. have it. <laughs> but like you, my thermosil, yeah. seriously, I turned it on, and I know I turned it I, on twice. Yeah, I didn't use mine much last year either, but it was circumstantial. Mm-hmm. I mean, No, you know. I turned it on twice because that was the only two times I brought it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Except for when I hunted with, he, with you, and it was raining, and I think it, it got really warm. Yeah. But... Like, for the most part, man, I, I never care. It's not that I'm, like, Superman against mosquitoes. I freaking hate them, man. I hate hunting mosquitoes. But just like what I tell you, man, I'm always so scared. If I can smell it, I know they can smell it. Oh, yeah. And if yeah. I'm hunting in an area, like, I with feel him. I that way, too. Well, if I'm, like, when I went with him several times, and I was hunting in areas that I had never been in before, and I was going in blind, I was not going to give myself an opportunity to, uh, you know, let these deer know that i was there i wouldn't i wasn't gonna try and you know yeah. school them on i think a, i think a curious scent in a bow hunter's world a curious scent can work in a lot of ways but one of those ways is negative and it, and, 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 yeah. and it may not be that it spooks a deer and the deer runs off but it may be that everything you've worked towards that curious scent has changed yeah, it's, how it's, they're gonna it act might, it might be such a small level of education mm-hmm. but in a deer's life, if that one millisecond of a smell, what was that? That'll, that well, that's I'm, all I'm, it takes. Push yeah, nocturnal and, and so that's that to me is why I just. Well, they may choose to take this trail that's instead what I mean. of that trail, that's what and I mean. then so the deer may still come out and feed. They may still pass, just as though you've scout, just how you scouted them, just what you're after. But you know I mean, don't get me wrong. Like where I hunt, it's it's so easy, man. I mean, I, I'm on private land, and nobody. I'm like the only person that boat hunts this property. So I've only got two or three select stands mm-hmm. and I've been hunting for years and years and I've gotten very lazy in the fact that I don't need that stuff. But yeah. I do know that th- when I do go hunt other places, there are things that I am going to need. Yeah, Man, but, you are, yeah uh, but I need to clarify this for you. You've done decades of public land yeah, hardcore, so years you know, of, of net, pumping. Some yeah, you're, you're not. And I carried backpacks full. You're not some full, full, full some Cadillac hunter that. Right. I mean, you might be doing that now. In fact, that's how I duck hunt. I mean, I could duck hunt in a tuxedo and, and go to black and tie. Right. When I was done, just because I, I mean, my dog gets the ducks and I got a, <laughs> I got the the mud boat and the blind on it and you hunt in the marsh and never get out. I mean, I don't even remember what waders feel like anymore. But that's paying that, somebody to load his gun for. Him. Yeah, yeah. Somebody <laughs> hands me a second gun. You know, uh, but but no, I, I, that's something I've graduated to, and that's and it sounds like what w- the, your property you hunt, um, 
that's you weren't always hunting places like that. You've no. you've soldiered it up like the like the rest of us. Now, you know, I, I can hunt. remember I can remember being you know Tunica Hills, and I can remember having my backpack and literally the morning of the hunt, like ripping it open and going through everything and just mm-hmm. going, okay, just do I have everything? Yes. <laughs> how much how much more toilet paper can I stuff yeah, in there? Because I'm going to be three miles in. Oh, and it's, exactly. Yeah, it take and me that's, four that's hours to it, get out. That's it. Yeah. In the worst cases, shooting a deer that far back, and what do I need? How am I going to get it out? You know, what do, do I have enough stuff to get this deer out of the woods? Or, you know, I'm not going to get lost. I mean, this was back in the D-cell mag light days. And do I have extra batteries? <laughs> yeah, that's, six yeah. that's six crucial, pounds man. by itself. <laughs> oh, that's crucial, bro. I mean, yeah, I, I grew up in Natchez, and I was fortunate enough to have hunting lease private property and hunt with friends. But, um, you know, on top of that, the Homachita and St. Catharines mm-hmm. and Sandy Creek, you know, that was my stomping grounds. And I've... You know, I, I use the term graduated. I I think I've just lost tolerance for putting up with it. <laughs> I don't know if it's actual graduation. Yeah, there's only I dropped out. <laughs> I didn't graduate. <laughs> I dropped out. You failed. That's funny. Well, uh, so what? I mean, I, I've I've hunted with Chad a good bit. Like I haven't hunted with you. What what's your what's your stand preference? Do you like to hunt out of lock-ons or climbers? I do. I actually sold. All, I had three climbers still in good working order, and I sold all three of them last year before the season because I, I made a commitment to myself that I'm done with that. Yep. Um, I had a friend that got hurt. I've had a couple that have – it's some of that. Um, but also I have – now that I've, I've, I've gotten more um, more with archery only over the last five or six years, you know, I've gotten where I don't rifle hunt anymore, and I just – I can't tolerate the noise – and everything it takes for me to haul a climber in the woods and get up and stand, I, it drives me crazy. And then there's the the other factor is that I cannot stand um, investing in a hunt and then being exhausted, worn out, or even mentally or physically. I, I've gotten to the point now where, like I said, it's a process. And I have a couple of properties that I hunt. And friends that I hunt with. And when I go get in a stand, I want to be able to slip into that stand with a very direct, uh, in a very direct way, mm-hmm. with, a, with a very direct purpose for that day, that hunt. And to me, that starts with me being able to walk, climb up the ladder and sit my butt down in the stand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, you know, I feel like I can ease my way into the hunt that way more effectively. That compared with on top of the camera, you can't film out of a climbing stand. Yeah. Uh, not so, well. but so yeah, lock-ons are my my preference. I, I honestly, I I have had numerous comments made to me by friends and and uh, guys that I hunted with. Uh, I've got some fifteen foot ladder stands, and I bought a lot of them, uh, mostly to take my kids hunting. But I do bow hunt out of them, and I've had people ask, you know, you bow hunt out of that. Well, I mean, if you set them up the right way, yeah, and you, exactly. buy, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it truthfully. You know, most people, they think they're hunting really high, and they're really not. They're lock-ons. They think they're way up there, and they're really only yeah. maybe 20 18, feet. 19 feet. Maybe. And so, really, they're if they stood on the shooting rail of my 15-foot double-man ladder, that's about out there. I mean, I can stand up, and I would be able to touch, you know, their kneecap. They're not that high. Mm-hmm. So, if you know, in this whole regard, if your stands are set up correctly, and you're hunting the area that you're hunting correctly, you can get away with a 15-foot stand easy. Not only that, but it's super quiet. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hunt a lot of lock-ons, a lot of Millennium. Um, 
I like comfortable lock-ons, and I, you know, I, I and yours are permanent, right? You're setting um, them up preseason. Are you moving them season? I do move the season. I move them, but very judiciously. I mean, I don't, you know, it's got to be for a reason. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I've got a, a strong now. I use Millennium because because I do like the portability of them. I like the fact that I can take a, um, you know, a cam bracket, and I can, you know, I can hang a stand pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But no, I use stick ladders. I try to get 28 feet if I can. 28 feet? 28 feet. Exactly? I'm, exactly. I have if old man. So, you ask. Foot, I'm, I'm going to dive. To the platform? Yeah, 28 to the platform. Okay. 28 to the platform if I can. Goodness gracious. Within 24, 20, 32 where you're shooting from. Your so, arms, yeah. So, I'm short. <laughs> no, 30, that's 30 where you're shooting from. <laughs> so, so, like, so, so, you ask, like, to get very in-depth, old man makes a stick ladder. And the reason I choose the old man ladders is because they have they're not alternating steps they're like t-steps and i want to clarify old man uh we are we do have openings for sponsorships so uh, <laughs> if, if old man you know i'm or sure millennium. they're gonna be they're probably anticipating our very first podcast yeah. release so so um, i use old man for that reason because i prefer i feel safer if i take one of you hunting with me and i put you in my stand i feel safer i feel safer for every reason so i like i like the Whatever, what would you call that? It's not an alternating step. It's not step. a staggered step. It's yeah, it's not staggered. It's whatever. And it's at a slight angle. Mm-hmm. And and But they're four-foot sections. So when you buy a pack of 20-foot old man ladders, you get five. And I, I, I don't even know how many I have at this point. But seven of those goes to 28 feet. Mm-hmm. And so my eighth stick is usually at, you know, what would get me to 32 feet. 32 feet is about where my head is when I'm sitting or maybe my shoulder. Is you, is the top of your stick ladder at the base of your stand, or no. do you go past your stand? I, put, when I, I try to go to the top of the, 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 the platform to the top of the seventh stick. Okay. And then I use an eighth stick because I like to have the steps to hang my stuff on. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, obviously I'll use a tree hanger and stuff too, but, and, and granted this is, you know, there are situations where I just, the canopy doesn't dictate that. I can't get that high you know, or there's not the right tree, but that's my goal. My goal is I, I literally have a six by 14 utility trailer full of old man ladder really? sticks and I can, you know, you buy them, you can, you know, you can piece them together. So my, my effort is to get to 28 feet. And oftentimes that probably ends up being 24, 25. If mm-hmm. I can only get a seventh stick there, but that's, that's my preference. And, and I like old man cause they're comfortable and, Y'all probably think the way I'm talking, I'm 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 60 or 70 years old, but I value the experience to the point that I want to be comfortable. Yeah, you know, I don't mind working to get and hunt an area, but when I get there, I want to sit down and be comfortable and enjoy my hunt, and I can't do that um, with a lot of the other methods that I grew up on. So, <laughs> <laughs> see, see the way the way that I set up stands, I'm I'm a, a little different. I do have a few permanent stands, like two or three, and they're scattered all over, but. Um, I I'm that guy that looks at a 19 foot tall stand and I'm like, ugh, it's mm. not 20. Well, you're 270 pounds. Well, that oh, yeah, it, I, I thought you meant due to height. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> I thought you were saying like I don't want to go <laughs> up that high. I don't look like I'm 270. I look like I'm 265. So uh, I just I just want to throw that out there. You Maybe know? 250 when you wear car- a different color I, shirt. I carry it well, you know, if I have stripes on. So, but with a Matthew shirt, you'd probably be like 240. Probably, I would be a lot cooler too. Yeah. You know, you'd be a lot lighter. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but but when I set a stand, uh, my 
the top and I and I, I haven't hung I haven't hung a, a permanent you know combined 20 foot ladder stick and in, in climbing stick in quite a while I'm always hunting um, well, helium uh, hawk helium sticks the four separate sticks like 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 we filmed yeah. at your house for the uh, the demo on how to hang a lock on last year lock um, and so what I do I'm always trying to get that extra foot foot and a half or two feet and the very bottom of my stand is sometimes two feet above the top last step of my lock. Yeah, so of he my has a, okay, sticks. so he has this lock on that he sets up. It's a permanent stand. And he's like, I'm going to tell you how to get to it. <laughs> I want you to go hunt it. And I was like all pumped up, man, because like, this is the first time I was able to hunt with him without being in a climber. I, I hunted more in a climber last year, and I've hunted probably the last 10 years because I hunted <laughs> with him. So he's like, I, I, I got a permanent stand set up for you. So do you here trust I, here me? I am do all, you trust me? Yeah, no, no. Here I am, all like <laughs> yeah. five seven or five eight of me, whatever I am, and he's like six two. So you can imagine the reach of span between each one oh, of his I sticks. Oh, I can. Yeah. I can. Dude, I was hanging like a monkey trying to climb. Yeah. I have a, a friend, a friend, a good friend of mine that is has a big uh, uh, plays a big role in me being a, a bow hunter. He was the one good friend I had growing up that him and his dad really, really bow hunted and you know really piqued my interest in. But his dad is like six seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know my friend john he's not i mean he's a taller guy i mean he's probably i don't know what he is if he's listening i'm sorry i don't know six one maybe six yeah. one i don't know but he's not a short guy but his dad is really tall and he's not just really tall he's a long-legged tall and i've gotten in a few of their stands and i'm like man <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude i'm short i know that's, <laughs> this that's the way it was last year. I, told him, I, I remember texas like oh my gosh man I couldn't believe I actually made it in this stand, like from the last step to his stand was seriously like four feet. And I was going, I just remember looking at that stand going, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to bear hug this tree to get up to it. One of the times (laughs) I felt just like probably worse than I ever have before taking somebody's hunt, taking somebody hunting. I have a friend of mine named Scott Derwin out of Lake Charles area. And he drove all the way over here to come make a hunt with me. And I had uh, screw in steps. (laughs) <laughs> okay like the like the gorilla yeah. whatever walmart special it's like dollar 89 yeah. each right and and i i had a big old oak tree i mean so big i, I couldn't get my arms around it I probably had another foot in between my hands if i wrapped my arms around it and so i had these these screwing steps and it took me like four hours to hang the stand before the season started and i you know just I'm using myself as a gauge and I set them, set them at a distance apart. So they work the well for me, <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, it's the morning of the hunt and I'm like, I get there and I've got Scott right by me. I'm like, all right, Scott, here's your tree. He stands up there. You know, I'm going to be about 300 yards that way. And, you know, I'll t- I'll text me when you get up, you know? So I get to my stand. It's 20 minutes later. Text him. You good? Right. back. yeah, bro, I'm all good. We don't see anything that morning. I get back there. I'm like, all right, I'm going to come meet you at your stand. Maybe down there in 10 minutes. I get down there, and, and I'm, I'm walking up, and I don't see a silhouette in the stand. And I'm walking up to the tree, and I see him get up off the ground. And I'm like, man, what, you know, you've been down for a while? He goes, oh, yeah, I never climbed up. And I'm like, <laughs> what? He goes, yeah, I, I couldn't make that stride, man. I'm not doing it. And I was like, are you serious? You didn't tell me? And he was like, man, what, do you, what, do you, what would you do? Come help me climb it, you know? Yeah, right. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I felt real bad because he, he couldn't, make, the, couldn't make, the, make it up the steps. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm guilty for that. You, you and many other people probably feel the same way. Uh, I've hunted with me before and wondering how I can – you know, stretch them out like that. But I like to get up there high, man. Well, I, you know, we did the video 
um, if people have watched it. And, I, you know, I would, if I were hunting more public, I would hunt that way. Yeah. Um, and I've done that um, before, similar, and I've done it up in the Midwest when I went and hunted a place for a week. And I don't mind that, but I'm very particular about stand placement and i don't and 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 i mean this strictly ergonomically like if i i I want a flat platform Uh you know so i want you know i I just want that part to be and i will spend time it's just worth it to me i mean i'm just i'm not gonna sit up there for you know three or four hours i'm I'm not like i'm totally opposite but man if i know i'm in the spot like i will Dude, I'll sit with a knot in my back, and I'll Look, cry. I will tell you a great <laughs> story. I don't care, yeah. but I am going to sit there. So, Leaning forward. Yes, I, absolutely. I'm, my good friend, Brad Ganaway, from Pro Outfitters in uh-huh. North Missouri, He, I, I'm hunting with him a couple years ago. And it's first week of November, northwest Missouri rut. He's like, i got to stand. I'm going to send you two tomorrow. He's like, I think it's, it's the spot, you know. So what, what do you call it? Sketchy. <laughs> like uh do i need to bring some extra <laughs> ratchet straps with me? i was yeah. like is there a reason for that and he was like yep you'll see he said but dude it's the spot man it's the spot so sometimes one tree over just it, isn't an option and, you know? it, and, and, and you know well up there everything's the little blackjack oak trees and everything there's not that many yeah. um in this case there was and we'll get to that in just a second <laughs> so it was, it was one of those days where uh weather pattern the way it was we didn't even go until like 9 a.m and sat all day mm-hmm. um it was nasty kind of rain it just quit raining right at daylight anyway so we go in there and it's uh, look it's it's a multi-trunk blackjack oak tree and like the ladder goes part the way up one side and then you got to step over on the other side and it's like leaning and then the the stand is like this and i get up in the tree and i'm like oh this is brutal like literally almost at a 45 degree the, the platform yeah. I, I, when i stood up i basically just had to stand up and lean against the seat because there was no you know i and, and i killed 142 inch nine point <laughs> at three o'clock that afternoon yeah. but yeah, you can't complain too much but uh suffering. and beautiful deer big heavy horn deer and uh but i had given him so much hell all day i kept texting him i was taking pictures and there was a tree five steps from me and i was taking pictures of it wouldn't i look so much better over there yeah Man, i'm like sending him and i'm like saying i'm like dude this is bur-, you know just messing with him and then i had to send him the text later that i killed a deer and he's like yeah see uh-huh. just yeah. how sketchy is it huh yeah <laughs> it was pretty sketchy so just to conclude this story i went back up there this year and um brad had a big project going on with his lodge and all and i offered to go up a week before my hunt and help him out and you know i went and moved sketchy to the other tree <laughs> and now no deer will be killed out of it i don't know if they killed any deer out of it last year or not but it is beautiful beautiful and it's it is literally uh maybe five five just regular strides to the right Over. or to the left <laughs> it is hunting the same trails and everything but uh no the, but to, to your point i mean it is there is really only one other tree and i worked hard to get it in there but it's in the right spot but you know that i just i can't I, it, just one hunter's different than the other but i can't do it like it will worry it will worry me to death even if it's not really affecting my hunt it worries me to death so when you ask i'm like i'm very particular well, I, about my i moved uh i moved to strictly to lock on what is th- three years ago now and uh I, i've got 
I mix and match. I, I wanted to use the lone wolf sticks, but I really didn't like having it, how it only had one step on each side. I like, like I said, when I get to the top of my sticks, I like to have that double step, and then I like a two foot step into my stand. I mean, I want that thing up yeah, there. The, ba- the worst part is when it's dark and you're thinking, you don't know which side that's my step on the left or the right. Yeah, and you're you know flashlight in the mouth trying to look over and yeah. figure that mess out. So I. I I got tired, you know, I hunt the basin a little bit, hunt, hunt the Chaffalite Basin and Sherburn and, and uh, a few places over there. And, and it doesn't just have, have to be the basin. I mean, any, all over Louisiana has this. You've got these Tupelo trees and cypress trees, but you've got a tree that is has a two-foot base that skinnies out to eight inches at 20, 20 feet up, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just impossible on some of these trees hunting, hunting swampland where they, they're most prevalent. To, to angle your stand hard enough at the bottom up yeah, by the, the climber, time by, with a climber to where by the time you get up there, you don't have to adjust it midway. Um, and, and I, I had a, I still have a, um, a lone wolf hand climber, which, uh, I mean, I can't sit more than three, four hours in that stand. It's just, it's like sitting on a, on a, a laptop. Yeah. You know, it's like sitting on an iPad. The alpha you know. sit and climb. Mine's no, it's not a sit a climb. It's the the hand climber where like it's, it's just, it's, it's just tiny. It's just a yeah, tiny little platform. Right. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. And um, and it, it is a climbing stand. It's not a lock on, but uh, you know that's a great stand because you can adjust it halfway up the tree. You can adjust the the platform halfway up the tree if you do it well enough, and you got you know if you've got the the balls to do it in a in a climbing harness. Um, but uh, I just got to a point where. I got tired of having to give up perfect trees and get 20 or 30 feet, sometimes 20 or 30 yards away from the exact area that I wanted to hunt. And so I went to uh, a, a mobile lock-on system, um, and there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. I, I know Warren Womack uses like uh, this um, was a woodpecker drill and, and, mm-hmm. and bolts. That's a, a really cool system, super light, but you probably can't use that on public land because you're, you're cutting into the tree. Um, and then uh, I, I use... Um, uh, some some of my friends use uh, tree spikes. That's you gotta you gotta ha- be on your game for those things. And then uh, I've got a friend of mine, Harmon Carson. He'll be on the show eventually. That just started hunting out of a uh, tree saddle. Um, that's that's a really interesting approach, and that that checks off the lightness box majorly. I mean, it's like it's like you, you get to shed twenty pounds, you know, yeah. going in the woods. But uh, it has a get its gives and takes. And then I landed on a combination of. A Millennium M7, which is Millennium's smallest stand. It's a lock-on. It weighs uh, eight and a half pounds. And then I have Hawk helium sticks. And I've done a lot of fabrication, drilled holes, and I have the bolts nested into the back of the stick on top of them so they don't rattle and 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 shift. Um, I mean, I've done a bunch of uh, modifications to it, but that's been my go-to for the past few years, and I love it. And pe- everybody looks at that Millennium stand, and it's the only Millennium lock-on that doesn't have, or one of, well, they have more now. It, it was one of the first Millennium lock-ons that didn't have that reclining seat where you've got the, the front and the back. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. it's real sticks real far off the tree, but you're, man, you could sit in it f- for days, yeah. you feel like. Um, and I still got that stretched mesh, mesh seat to it, but... Um, I love that thing. Yeah, they make really they make one uh, the M60U. Yeah, and it's basically the same thing as, as yours. It's just the more full size platform. Yeah, that's what I hunt, and they make it in aluminum, and it's it's you know it's 
Not as light as an M7, but I've it's never, still very light. I, I've never felt as if I ran out, I, like it wasn't enough room for me. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It just fits me well, and I'm a, I'm a big guy, and I, I I really love using that. But um, I mean, there this is for a whole nother episode. We can talk about uh, strategies going into the woods and and you know how to hunt mobily and all that stuff. You know, that's one of the things we talked about before we got started on tonight's show. But like, you know, like I, we're gonna do more than one of these, you know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got to save <laughs> something for the next one. Something. Like I hunted with you, and 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 that was just everything about what you were doing this year was just like, man, that's just. That's just way too hardcore for what we're doing here. You know, I, I'm serious, man. I'm like, I kept thinking, God dang, man, he is hunting public land, hunting. And look at yeah. the way he's set up. And I'm, you know, strapped with the climber and I got my bow and I'm like, ah, la di da. And uh, I remember one hunt. I was thinking, man, I was thinking back when I started hunting public land that, uh, you know, back way back then, you could use climbing spurs and we used to, mm-hmm. I used to use climbing spurs i started out with that and then we then i graduated to do you remember the old uh strap steps yeah they, those are steps. back out again they, yeah, yeah. Man, man these are these are so dangerous oh, yeah, i was just yeah. gonna say that's the most uh, dangerous <laughs> thing anybody Look, I, ever that was put into that was the... in my backpack man i have like 50 of them suckers yeah. dude and then you'd spend so much time getting them untangled and strapping them on a tree and i mean man they've got they've got some some new ones out now called silent approach <laughs> And they um, they put out a uh, a video a day or two ago about they were trying to show the strength of their strap and they were like yeah it's fourteen hundred pound breaking strength blah 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 and they did an up close video of a guy like setting a, a step and putting all his weight on it and that thing must have gone four inches up and down the tree every time he stepped and I was like oh my mm-hmm. god that. It's yeah, terrifying. Pull off the tree like this. Yeah, it pulls off. Uh-uh. There's now, no way to tighten that. Now I mean, they've got no. they've got another cool system. This is just something y'all y'all can Google and look up. It's called the Step Ladder S T E P P, and that's the guy's last name. As if there was ever a perfect name for a guy <laughs> to invent a deer stand. Okay, last name Step, yeah. um, and his is like a, uh, a chocker, like choking rope attachment system. Um, that, and I actually think it's what the original, um, what's the arborist loggy, loggy bottom. What what was the original loggy bayou? I've only seen, I've never, never seen one. I know that was one of the first lock ons. I I know a bunch of people had this. Well, these loggy bayous had this like, uh, feedback through rope system. It uses that, uh, Mm -hmm. uses that Kevlar rope. Like you got on on winches, like for a Mm -hmm. four wheeler and whatnot. But um, that's a really cool system. That is a lot more stable. It does lock. But these uh, these step silent approach ones that I saw the video of, I was like, oh man, that's they ran out of plastic or or, or yeah. polypropylene, whatever fancy word they use uh, for it to sell it. But if you're temporary, if you're temporary, you know the system that you've got, or or a good a good climbing stand that's in good condition and safe and all. I mean that's yeah. There, there's not a lot of innovation around that's going to top i mean those those are just proven methods yeah. you know i i would like to uh, it's kind of like bow technology like what where, where, where's the bow technology going to go these days I mean, we're already hitting 350 360 feet per second we, we got bows that are under four pounds you know i think the pse carbon stealth this year is like 3.2 pounds it's the lightest bow on the market but when it comes to tree stands i really do think that the i hope the next step is um just lightness you know and i i do think as well people are starting to come around to 
paying a premium for lightweight gear. And you see that you see that a whole lot in Western hunting. Like when I went to Alaska, I mean, you could get a water bottle that weighs half an ounce lighter than something else, and, and it's fifty bucks, you know, because yeah. it's half an ounce lighter than something else. Um, but uh, you know, with tree stands, I bet there's there's going to be a time where they got to be coming out with something made out of carbon, something that's molded, almost like a, um, a Hoyt carbon bow is, you know, you know what I mean. Um, and this is just yeah. this is just coming off the top of my head. This is, you know, where else are they going to go with it? You know, they've already gone bigger. They've already gone smaller. They got to go lighter. They got to go. I, more I think it's a, it's a mass a mass to weight mm-hmm. ratio. And and then from a consumer standpoint, you you know they're gonna they're gonna do both. Yeah. Because there's the guy who hunts his private place, and he goes up on Friday night, and he cooks and watches football, and he eats, and he. And he spends two or three weekends a year moving stands around, and he wants a big, comfortable stand. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really care if it's—he wants it to be quiet and big and comfortable, and he doesn't mm-hmm. really care if it's light. And then there's, you know, the Kyler Mopperts of the world that want to be Indiana Jones yeah. out in Tunica Hills, <laughs> and they need light. You I've know? never been in Tunica Hills. I've never hunted there. I don't—I've heard it's nice. I don't know anything about—I don't know anything about it, anything about that particular well, WMA. Any other WMA <laughs> in which you would walk a long way? Yeah. The ACC. That's where I hunt. There you go. Yeah, with everybody else. Seems so, like a popular place. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, uh, I I just, I think, I'm excited to see what, you know, technology is coming out for, for deer hunting. But at the same time, like you said earlier, Locke, it's like, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, there really is. You know, there's only so much you can do with, with this stuff. But, well, you know, uh, actually, if you look at the, the specs, I mean, yeah, you've got your you know, you got your super bomb bows out there, but a lot of them actually have backed out of their speeds now. Mm-hmm. I think more people are, are looking at the man. I want to hold on a draw. I want to hold draw on a bow for, uh, for thirty yeah, the minutes. Shoot a, the the shootability. Shootability. Yeah. shootability Shh, is, don't say that uh, too loud. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's well. I mean, whether it's whether it's being used as a marketing ploy <laughs> yeah. or whether it's uh, but it's a real thing. And it I think, is. but I think the people like us that have hunted with a lot of different bows. I started out with a Darton too. You know, mm-hmm. you said that earlier and I thought, you know, my first bow was a youth bow, but it was a Darton. And uh, I mean, how many bows have we all shot and owned? But I've gotten to the point now where I'm, I, you know, I know I can kill a deer at 270 feet per second really, really effectively, oh, like extremely effectively. <laughs> dude, like, you so, know how many deer I killed with a Jennings yeah, Buckmaster? Like Jennings when the Buckmaster Buck came out, yeah. dude, I had one. Man. And I shot some freaking deer with that bow. And, but like, I used to shoot 3D in tournament shooting with that bow. People like, you're out here shooting your hunting bow? I'm like, yeah, man, it's the best bow ever. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it may so, have been the best bow at that when point I go, in time. You know, when I go in an archery shop and I'm looking around, to be honest with you, I am not and I am not every consumer, mm-hmm. you know, admittedly, but I'm, I'm, I don't care. I don't care if the bow can shoot 350 feet per nope. second. I, I know. I do. No, I don't. <laughs> Speed matters. I, I, I love it. I, I mean, I like it from a, um, what standpoint from the, just, it's interesting a to NASCAR me. Standpoint. Yeah. Like it's cool. Well, no, <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, well it's, it's cool. It's cool to shoot a bow and for it to plane and shoot well and everything at that speed. That's awesome. And I'm not going to say... But it's not necessary. It's not. No, but and you know it's yeah. not, people it's, like he and I... It's not my it's focus. Impossible. We will never we, we'll shoot, never shoot that. We're too short. Sure. So yeah. our standards never. have yeah. totally flipped. Like, yeah. like, I know that with my draw length, I'll never... I can barely see 300 feet per second. 
Yeah. Like spending the most money that I can What's spend. What's your draw? 27 and a half? 28? 20, 27 and a half. That's yeah, what so mine I'm, is, too. I'm, I'm like... Mm, bunch of T-Rexes over yeah, here. Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm cranking it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm at spec on my arrows. Like, I'm really at spec I'm on my evenly arrows. proportioned small, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, 20, it, I'm 29 and a half inch draw. But no, Chad's yeah, but got a perfect... He's got... He, he makes a perfect point. We're not... For a lot... And honestly... In, in back to my experience of working at a bow shop, there's way more dudes that are 27, 28 inches than there are that are shooting 29s and 30s, which is what every, everything's based off. But I know um, I bought a new bow last year. I bought the new Hyperforce, uh, Hoyt Hyperforce, mm-hmm. and I shot a bunch of them. And I didn't care what they chronograph. I didn't shoot any of them through a chronograph because I know that where we are in the industry right now, every single bow, brand new bow, hanging on that shelf, it's gonna shoot way faster than I need it to to kill a deer. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. so it's I'm you know. Man, look, I shot a PSE. I shot Bowtech. I've shot Elite. I've shot them all. I I had my my PSE pull out of me at full draw. I guess I got too relaxed on a buck oh, in yeah, Illinois. Oh jerk on you. And it about jerked my shoulder out. I sold it the week after. I said I'll never shoot it again. I actually I, bought the PSE uh, Omen. The, the I oh, bought yeah. one brand new. Brand spanking new. Um, showed up at my house. I think Jay set it up. Mm-hmm. And I got it home. I shot it six times. Six arrows out of it. I put it back in the box, cleaned it, and sold it the next day. And I'm not six shots fired through it. I said, I will not have this. Part of the bow. No, because I was shooting another PSE, and I'm like, I'm not going to shoot no, this No, but over. you know why I bought that bow? Because it was the fastest bow on the market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, that's it, why I bought the Omen. Yeah, I had to see it. I had I to shoot bought it, it and, and I killed several deer with it. But when I was at full draw on that deer and it jerked out, and I got so aggravated with it that it happened, that on the way home from the trip, I said, I'm selling this boat. And uh, who was it? It was Jordy. Jordy uh, had been shooting elites for several years, and he just raved and raved about them online, you know. What's Jordy's last name? H U E G. Is it Hugert? Hugert, yeah, I think he did. So he, uh, I, I kind of messaged him back and forth about it because you know you kept seeing the shootability part of it, and I'm not plugging Elite by all means, but at that point I was like, man, I'm, I need to get out of that. I need the fastest bow in the world phase, and I need yeah. something that I need to hunt with. Yep, I was and shooting so I, when yeah. when I did the same. I was shooting a PSE GX X Force GX. Mm-hmm. It shot pretty quick. Um, and I had gotten it while I was working at Bowie, so I had lots of time for me and Jay to tinker with it. And yeah. it shot really good. It didn't shoot, you know, I mean, at 27 and a half inches, it's not going to shoot that fast. But it shot fast. I killed a lot of deer with it. Same thing. PSE Omen. The Omen. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, the that that's the whole thing. It was, a, it, you know, uh, speed. So I, I'm like, I got to have this thing. I got I to gotta see about this. So I go get it. I, you know, I, I don't know how many arrows I shot through it in the in the archery shop getting it set up, but you know not enough so <laughs> i come home <laughs> i literally to make a good decision yeah, on buying it. i come well i bought i you know i i did it and i came home and i shot six arrows through it and i said and it was impressive when you let it go oh my gosh dude. good oh, yeah, it was a rocket. i yeah. mean i mean even yeah, at my draw length it was shooting like 320 or something yeah. we had it you know, that's the, that's the only bow I've ever shot that was over three hundred and consistent. And it was, mm. uh, it, was it was crazy. And but I but I honestly, I felt like, you know, like I, even though I hit the target, I you know, it wasn't nothing bad happened. 
But after six shots, I was like, I can't control this thing. <laughs> like, I, this thing is so, like, I feel like this thing is just Wait, fixing so, You know what's funny about, about this for me and the hypocrisy and me having a, an opinion on a compound bow is I don't even own one right now. <laughs> okay? I've got a company based around bow hunting in Louisiana, and I do not own a compound bow at the moment. I no. do not. The only compound bows that I have in my possession, David DeLucci gave to me. He's my neighbor. He lives, you know, uh, next neighborhood over. And he, he showed up at my house about a year ago on his way somewhere. He goes, he drops them off in my front door. He goes, uh, do whatever you want with these. Uh, I found them in the shed. I don't need them. They're both left-handed. And they're both like, you know, <laughs> mid-90s. You know, they look like they were made in 1994. Yeah. Um, and one of them was when he played. So David DeLucci is a professional baseball player. He's retired, but he played for the, the Diamondbacks for a while. And so when he played for the Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks, PSC made him a bow with a snakeskin pattern on it, like dipped. It looks like, you know, copperhead. Like hydrographic. Yeah, hydrographic yeah. copperhead look. And it says, like, you know, so, it has something I would have thought it was kind of important to him. It says, like, David, dear David DeLucci, thanks for the memories, uh, you know, all Hall of Famer 1998. And I look at him and I was like, you sure you don't want to keep this? Like, this is, <laughs> what the heck this am is, I going to do with yeah, this? Yeah, and so the only, bows, the only bows that I have that are compound are both left-handed. David gave them to me. He was like, give them to somebody that wants them. Uh, and, then, and then I fell into the, the, um, the traditional archery world, which is, uh, you know, this constantly trying to find something good about bow season and the deer stand it's you know it's so frustrating because it's like bow hunting with one hand tied behind your back and you you, the reason why the reason why I did this was because I tagged out all sixth year in the state for three years in a row with a compound I'd like bam 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 uh and I killed uh the year before I killed a really nice 10 point on public land and it was on my sixth tag. It was on my either sex tag. And I let a nice eight-point walk like three days before. And um, I knew I wasn't going to kill a deer unless I, it was something worth killing, right? And I killed a really nice 10-point. And so I made a pact with myself, and I told as many people as I could. I, I mean, I, I could be next to somebody in traffic. I'd roll down my window and be like, hey, uh, I'm going to hunt with traditional only next year. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> Hold just me be, to it. Yeah, please. I'm just telling people so that uh, I'll follow through with it. And, on Facebook. And so, and so I did, and it was the most fun I never want to have again. I got to say, I, I just – So I, are you going to get a compound for this year? I'm going to get a compound for this year i haven't decided what i'm going to get yet i'm looking at a couple of them but um you know the one of the things that i'm most focused on this year outside of speed is um lightness i I think i'm going to go with a carbon bow this year which which you know is very very limited but but let me tell you why it's because when you carry a traditional bow around the woods it's like carrying a stick a stick (laughs) it is it is so light and i mean it might be 60 inches long but you, it isn't like this burdensome thing you're bringing in with you. It's like a walking stick to an, an extent. And so I just can't go back to a seven-pound bow with six arrows on it, you know, a, a seven-pound bow all set up. I just I can't do that. I got to go. I got to keep it light. I do. I'm going to I'm going to bring three arrows, a light, maybe no stabilizer, and just a, a carbon bow and just rock it. You I, know? I, see, I, I'm, I, I don't want a heavy bow. But I prefer some 
some weight in my hand. I need a little weight. And I found with the carbon bows, they're just. I just, they're I just don't. They're I mean, radical. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're it's radical. just you feel everything. Mm-hmm. You feel several. everything, and they can, and and they're so light that they'll. There's movement. I'm gonna wait. There's <laughs> movement. <laughs> Sit back. With the car, with the carbon yeah. bows, there's, to me, and any of the really, really lightweight bows. But you know, we're speaking nowadays of carbon. But the, when you're shooting, it there's nothing in your hand, mm-hmm. and. Anything you do, left, right, up, down, I mean, it move, everything can move, I, I find. I feel like at any second I'm going to slide to the – because I feel like when I got a little weight on the back of my palm, I feel steadier. Well, so what I was going to say earlier when you were talking about your omen and how it wanted to jerk out of your hand – I, I understand I'm an anomaly of a, of a bow consumer, you know, customer. I, I, I appreciate different attributes of a bow than other people do. I actually hate, and I really do mean hate, a deep valley. I really do. I hate a bow that if I want to let down, I feel I have to push it forward. That scares the crap out of me. Yeah, it, I, it really I, does. I, you know I, I like I mean? a happy medium there, but I know exactly what I you're like, saying. I like one, and here's my logic on it. And this is just something I've evolved in over time. I like a bow that gives me feedback when I'm being lazy. Okay. And the thing that worries me about a deep Valley bow, and, and honestly, I'm not picking on elite, but elite has a lot of let off and, and it's like, you're holding nothing. And the problem is, is you can, you can really potentially in the moment, big deer or doe, or if you're holding long time, you might get lazy and you might get out of form or drop your arm or, or creep forward a little bit, you know, and you aren't pulling back as hard with your back muscles as you should. And I don't like that. I like a bow that gives me immediate feedback. Now the uniqueness in that for me is that I'm, I'm a big guy. So I, I don't, I haven't ever had a bow that wanted to rip me back forwards, you know, but mm-hmm. I totally understand how that can happen to people and, and why people want to kind of, you know, work against that but um yeah for me i I like one if i'm gonna have a if i'm gonna have a super light bow having a ton of it isn't about let off for me and it's hard i don't think we have enough time in this podcast to talk about the difference between let off and deep valley because there is a difference between the two but um i like i like a bow that has decent amount of let off i like 75 to 80 percent but i also like one that if i come forward a millimeter it's going to give me some sort of report back. Right. And so if I go with a super light bow, it has, I have to have back tension on it all the time because then I'm controlling it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the lightness feature of bows is one of the things I'm looking at this year. And, and I have, you know, no particular brand I'm looking at. You know, I've shot Prime for a while. I've had a PSE was my first bow. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've had a bunch of Primes. And, and I really like their technology. But, I mean... I'm not really against any of them either, you know. I've I've shot Hoyt. I shot PSE, um, that one PSE that I referenced in the story while I go, and I love that bow. And um, but other than that, I've you know I've pretty much been a Hoyt guy. The last four bows, um, I shot a tribe bow mm-hmm. last year. A tr- they're one of their compounds for the first half of the year. It, it was through a business deal mm-hmm. type thing but um preference wise and i and in the last uh three i'm sorry the last two uh hoyts that i've purchased consumer preference and not through uh, you know any other reason 
uh, I chose the aluminum riser over the carbon. Mm -hmm. Instead of the carbon spider, I had the uh, factor. Mm -hmm. Factor. Yeah. Yeah. And then this past year, I drove over to Jay's with every intention of buying the, what are they, what is it? The carbon. Matrix. Carbon defiant. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, you know, I shot it, and then I shot the the Hyperforce, which is the basically the same bow, just an aluminum riser instead of a carbon riser. And I shot both, and I I shot a couple other brands too. But I, you know, not only is it three or four hundred dollars more um, retail for the carbon, but I could not, in all honesty tell you that i liked the carbon more and yeah. in fact i didn't i liked the aluminum bow better yeah. it gave me more feedback in in some ways and i simply just I, i've always been this way since i learned to shoot a compound bow i like to have a little bit of weight in the palm of my hand and yeah. like when the when pse made that little bitty tree stand bow Mm-hmm. I felt the same way with it. It was so small and light that I felt like it was going to twist at full draw. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, you know, like if I got the least bit out of whack or nervous or cold or anything, I felt like this thing, I, I can't, I've got nothing, you know, yeah. got no stable. Well, this see, this is exactly why I wanted to do a podcast and get people together. And, and, you know, as we do more episodes, you know, we might mix, we might mix up different people or having calling guests or whatever, but the, the the my favorite part about this podcast is that we haven't all agreed on the same thing or doing things the same way, but we all like to kill deer with our bows, you know. Uh, but that doesn't mean I have to have like Hoyt or Elite or you have to have like Prime or traditional this that or the other, you know. It's, um, you know, I want, and we discussed this before we started recording. My goal of this podcast, honestly, is just to have a bunch of open conversations with people that I feel around the state have a lot of insight that are willing to share their preferences or, Hey, I did this and I'll never do it again. You know, uh, learn from me. Don't make this type of mistake type of thing. And so, you know, um, if, if, uh, if y'all got anything else to add, let's, let's throw it in. But we're, I think we should wrap up and, and put a, put a fork in the first one. You know, uh, I've, I've enjoyed it guys. I think we, we learned a lot from each other about each other. I think a lot of other people are going to listen to this and learn a lot, but y'all have anything y'all want to add? You know, give us feedback on Facebook and LouisianaBowHunter.com and let us know what you want to hear. Guests that you may want to hear from, topics you want to hear about, and, um, you know, just any kind of feedback, positive, negative, otherwise. But, uh, you know, this is a resource, like you said, this is a resource for people who are passionate about archery, people who are just wanting to get into archery, um, or in in everywhere in between. So, you know... uh, follow follow up with us a little bit you know use social media and stuff and let us know what you want to hear so we not can, not even that yeah. just uh i mean there's so many people out there do your own draw your own conclusions and do your own r&d send mm-hmm. pictures and video i mean as easy it is to send a picture and a video uh you know if we do a podcast on a certain subject and you have a prime bow out there you have a Hawk prove us line. wrong exactly yeah i mean <laughs> prove, go out, no, prove go out there, wrong yeah, just prove lock wrong send us a video on on what your experiences are or something on you know we can yeah you know show show yeah, yeah. not just within our, in our exclusive group of of uh you know contributors but we want to know what everybody out there in louisiana our bow hunters yeah are doing you know with their stuff and if you're on social media you can follow us on instagram follow us on facebook 
And uh, if you kill a deer, if you got anything cool that you posted a picture of, uh, use the hashtag Louisiana Bowhunter. We'd love to see what you got out there. Um, and uh, on that note, I think we should wrap it up, guys. I appreciate y'all making yep. the drive over tonight. And uh, y'all be good. Until next time. Yep. See ya. Thanks.